Church family, I invite you to open up in God's word to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 26 is our text for today. Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 26. The title of our message is The Plan That Will Prevail. The Plan That Will Prevail. Let's enjoy God's word. Genesis chapter 50, beginning in verse 15. You follow along in your copy as I read. This is the word of God. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. It's the word of the Lord for his church today. Heavenly Father, Would you help us concentrate on your word in this moment? Father, open up our hearts to receive the truth of your word and help us to respond in obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On this Christmas day, I bet many of us came in with plans on our minds. We have plans of where we have to be when our worship service is over today. We have plans of what time we need to leave by in order to arrive wherever we're going, um, whether that's back home or somebody else's house at the right time. We have plans of where where we're eating lunch or what we're eating for lunch on this Christmas day. Uh, We might already have plans of which gifts we're going to take back in exchange for something else. Maybe you might have some traveling to do. Uh, maybe you've got to go visit some family or some friends. And so you've got plans of, of what direction you're going and what all do you need to make sure you load in your car before you leave. Maybe you don't have any plans for the rest of the day, which is kind of nice. But if you do, then you actually do have plans because you might have plans to do nothing. That's actually a plan. You have plans to relax, eat something, maybe take a nap and just enjoy the day. We have all sorts of plans, but there is another thing that you and I have in common today, not just the fact that we have plans, but it's this, that none of us, not one of us, is able to guarantee that our plans will succeed. 
Whatever plans we have today, none of us are able to guarantee that it will go exactly according to plan. We don't know the future, nor are we in control of everything that is going to happen throughout this day. But church, there is someone who not only knows the future, but who is also in control over all things. There is someone whose plans are guaranteed to succeed. Our plans may fail, but there is a plan that will prevail despite many attempts by the enemy to spoil those plans. What is the plan that will prevail, church? It is God's promise of salvation. Genesis chapter 50, verse 15 through 26 teaches us this, church, that God's promise of salvation will triumph over evil. God's promise of salvation will triumph over evil. As we've studied through the book of Genesis, the theme of God's promise of salvation has emerged as the driving force of the storyline. After sin corrupted the perfect world God created, remember God promised to send an offspring, this man born of woman who would ultimately deliver God's people by destroying the serpent. But until then, the serpent would be at war with the woman and her offspring. Remember, he said, God said he would put enmity, hatred between the serpent and the woman, between his offspring and her offspring. And we've seen that war on full display in the book of Genesis. This book that we've studied, this book of Genesis is filled with great evil. Just think back to some of the great evil that we have seen in the pages of Genesis. But through it all, God's promises have remained steadfast. In other words, even though it seems and and in the book of Genesis seemed like and even today seems like the serpent and his evil ways were and are winning. They never were and never will be winning. The closing chapters of Genesis have provided us with some very important truths regarding God's promise of salvation. Let's just recall those for just a moment. We've seen in these final chapters that God's promise of salvation calls for the faith of his people, that it comes as an undeserved blessing, that it centers upon a global king, that his promise of salvation enables us to face uh, death with the hope of life. And today we'll see that God's promise of salvation will triumph over evil. As we look back over the book of Genesis, we see that God's promise, which, as we've said, began all the way back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter three, ended up focusing in, remember, on one family, on the family of Abraham. And that covenant with Abraham got passed down to Abraham's son, Isaac and Isaac's son, Jacob, and then on to Jacob's 12 sons who became that would become the 12 tribes of Israel. Remember, Joseph, one of Jacob's 12 sons, we have to remember this evil. He was sold into Egypt by his brothers as a slave. And eventually he then, remember, rose to great power in Egypt. And God used Joseph to provide rescue for his family from that terrible famine that impacted not only Egypt, but the land of Canaan, where he was from and where his family was living. And even though Joseph had forgiven his brothers for the way that they had treated him, these final verses of Genesis tell us that when their father died, they were scared. They were afraid that now Joseph would seek revenge. And this fear set up one of the most important statements in all of Genesis. And I'm going to argue that it's one of the most important statements in the whole uh, text of God's word. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. As for you, Joseph said, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. 
And then we see that this passage, this chapter, this book closes with Joseph dying, but not before he gives some very important instructions regarding his bones, which helps us know that even though Genesis is over, the story of God's promise of salvation is not As we consider this big truth that God's promise of salvation will triumph over evil, I want to share with you today two reasons why God's promise of salvation is the plan, church, that will prevail. Two reasons why this is the plan that will prevail. Number one, God's plan will prevail because God is sovereign over evil. God's plan will prevail because God is sovereign over evil. Notice the the, the words in this passage, uh, evil, transgression, sin. Now, your translation may use some different words for those, but I want you to pay very close attention to those words. Verse 15 says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. And then go on to verse 16 and 17. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And then his brothers say, and now, so now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Now, when we read these final verses of Genesis in light of the very first chapter of Genesis, It's a reminder that something has gone wrong in the good world that God made. Remember, the the very first chapter of Genesis said that God created the world and it was very good. And then we get to the last chapter of Genesis and we see evil, transgression, evil, sin, transgression. These verses at the end of Genesis are a reminder that God's good world has been invaded by an enemy, by evil, by rebellion against God. And all along the way, we've seen evil threaten, church, God's very good promises, his salvation promises. But I want you to notice Joseph's response. Joseph is not overcome by this evil. Notice what verse 17 says. It says Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Joseph doesn't say, you got that right. Joseph doesn't say, well, you can start running now, but I've got the armies of Egypt on my side. It says that he wept. He cried when they said that. Why is Joseph upset? Well, he's probably saddened to hear that his brothers have not believed the forgiveness that Joseph extended to them 17 years earlier. That that was a genuine forgiveness. They've been thinking for 17 years that Joseph is just waiting on their father to die and then he's going to seek revenge. Perhaps they couldn't see how someone could forgive such great transgressions. I mean, how in the world could someone forgive uh, people who had hated him and almost murdered him and sold him into slavery? Joseph's words here reveal that he believed two things about God which had an amazing impact on his life. First, Joseph believed that God was sovereign, which humbled him. Look at verses 18 and 19. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Which makes us think back to those dreams that Joseph dreamed when he was just a boy. And they're continuing to play out as an accurate prediction of the future. But then Joseph says to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? So do you see Joseph's belief here? This is incredible. Even as his brothers are bowing down to him, Joseph understands that he, Joseph, is not sovereign. 
There is someone higher than him, someone more powerful than him, someone who holds the whole world in his hands as the children's song goes. And that someone is the creator of the whole world, God. God's creation may have been invaded by evil, but God has not lost control of his creation. Not one little bit. He's sovereign over all. And Joseph knows that he dare not pretend like he can take God's place. Am I, Joseph says, in the place of God? And the second belief that Joseph has here is that Joseph believed that God was sovereignly working out his good plan through the evil that his brothers committed. Look at verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. In other words, Joseph was harboring no bitterness towards his brothers. Isn't that incredible? Why? How could he do that? It's because he believed that even though what they did to him was evil, he calls it evil, even though what they did to him was evil, God was so sovereign and God was so good that he actually, God actually employed the evil to serve his good purpose of salvation. You meant evil. God meant good that many people should be kept alive. Those are absolutely incredible words, not just for the book of Genesis, but for the entire Bible. They teach us this church that evil is real, that God is sovereign over evil and that God is using his sovereignty to work out his good plan of salvation that no evil will ever be able to stop. Church, these truths centering on the sovereignty and character of God help provide the most solid foundation and framework for our lives as we face evil each and every day. They provide us with incredible stability and hope when life doesn't seem to make sense or when the invasion of evil may seem to be getting the best of us. These truths about God's sovereignty and goodness can help right our sinking ship and help us sail a straight path through the stormy waters of life as we are surrounded by evil, both without and sometimes and even often within. And so it's worth pausing to make sure we understand a biblical definition of God's sovereignty over evil, what it doesn't mean and what it does mean. Uh, let me share with you just three statements that I think will help us make sure that we're believing the right thing about God's sovereignty. When we say God is sovereign over evil, what do we mean and what do we don't mean? First, God's sovereignty over evil does not mean that we can hold God responsible for evil. We've got to make sure we understand that. Even though God holds ultimate control over evil, he is not to be blamed for evil. One thing that has been clear as we've studied Genesis is that, there, is that there is an enemy and the enemy is not God. The enemy is the serpent in the garden, Satan, the deceiver who led astray the first man and woman. The enemy is the spirit of rebellion lurking in our hearts that came as a result of Adam's sin. Listen to what James, the half brother of Jesus, said, James, chapter one, verse 13 and 14. He said this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And so God's sovereignty over evil does not mean that we can hold God responsible for evil. There's another thing it doesn't mean. God's sovereignty over evil does not mean that humans will be excused from their evil. In other words, we can't say, 
you know, I mean, what I did seemed wrong, but God's not going to hold it against me because actually he's going to use it as a part of his plan. And so God's not going to hold me accountable for the evil. It, it's a part of his plan. We can't say that when it comes to saying God is sovereign over evil. Friends, God's sovereignty over evil in no way diminishes the evilness of the evil that we commit and our accountability before God, before the evil we commit. Notice that Joseph does not deny the fact that what his brothers did was evil. He doesn't he doesn't say, oh, well, you thought it was bad, but it wasn't really bad because it was a part of God's good plan. He says, you meant evil for me. He calls it evil. You meant evil. And so we must not employ God's sovereignty over evil as a way to lessen our guilt before a holy God. It's a hard truth to understand, but we have to take God's word as it comes to us. God can at the same time, listen carefully to this, God can at the same time hold humans responsible for their evil and use that evil to accomplish his good plans. That's a hard truth to to, to understand and wrap our minds around, but that's what God's word teaches us. And so we hold both of those things to be true at the same time. I think one of the clearest examples of this is found in the betrayal of Jesus. Judah had planned to betray Jesus, which ended up being a part of God's good plan of salvation. But God still held Judah accountable, uh, Judas accountable for his actions. On the night of Jesus' arrest, Jesus said this in Luke chapter 22, verse 21 through 22. This is, this is incredible, deep, kind of hard to wrap our minds around uh, words of Jesus, but it speaks volumes about our understanding of the sovereignty of God over evil. Jesus said this, But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes As it has been determined, he's talking about going to the cross, goes, is betrayed, as it has been determined. Who determined it? God. From ages long ago. But, Jesus says, woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. In other words, God is employing the evil purposes of Judas for his good plan of salvation, but he is still holding Judas responsible for his evil. So God's sovereignty over evil does not mean that humans will be excused from their their evil. So those two negative definitions of God's sovereignty, two things that God's sovereignty doesn't mean, it doesn't mean we can blame God for evil and it doesn't mean that we can excuse our evil. But what does it mean? Let's give a positive definition. Here's the third statement about God's sovereignty. It's this, God's sovereignty over evil means that not only will God's good plan never be thwarted by evil, He will even use the evil to serve his agenda of salvation. That's a big truth. It's a truth worth us spending time meditating upon. Church, it's not just that evil acts as a roadblock that God must swerve around as he works to accomplish his plan of salvation. God actually takes the evil and uses it to assist him in his plan of salvation. Think about it this way. It's like God doesn't just knock the weapon out of the enemy's hand. He takes the enemy's weapon and uses it against the enemy to win. That's how powerful our God is. That's how sovereign our God is over evil. 
Notice the impact that this truth can have on our lives. It's not just this, this, this belief floating out there somewhere. It's a, it's a truth that, that greatly impacts our lives on a day-to-day basis. Not only does Joseph not seek revenge here, God uses his belief in God's sovereignty to calm his brother's fears and to do good to them. Look at verse 21. Joseph says, so do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Church, when we believe that God is sovereign over evil and is triumphing over evil with good, then guess what? We then are in a place where we can be used by God to overcome evil with good in our own lives and in our relationships with others. We could spend much time thinking about how this truth impacts our lives on a a day to day basis. I'm going to give you. I'm going to get I want to just give you seven ways and I'm just going to say them quickly. Don't try to write them down if you're taking notes, because I'm just going to say them. We're not going to talk about it. but just to get in our minds how how practical the sovereignty of God over evil is for our 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 everyday life. Believing that God is sovereign over evil. And I'm getting these right out of just this passage in Genesis. Think about it in, in terms of what is happening here. Believing that God is sovereign over evil helps us extend forgiveness rather than seek revenge. That's that's almost everyday life, right? It keeps us submissive before God. Am I in the place of God? It gives us endurance during mistreatment. Think about all of Joseph's past. It clears our vision to see and rejoice in God's good plan of rescue in the midst of an evil world. You want to have joy in the midst of an evil world? Remember that God is triumphing over evil with good. It calms our fears. We see that happening in this passage. It positions us to be a source of comfort and care in the lives of others. And it provides us with hope in the continuation of God's promise of salvation. Again, I cannot overemphasize the importance of this belief that God is sovereign over all evil. And isn't it interesting that the very first temptation, the very first act of evil among humanity was a temptation to doubt the sovereignty and the goodness of God. Satan tempted Eve to question God's goodness and giving them the rule not to eat from that certain tree. And he tempted Eve to place herself in God's place and do what she wanted rather than what God had instructed. But now at the end of Genesis, we see a glimmer of hope for this sin cursed world as one man chooses to trust God's sovereignty and to trust that God is good. Joseph, faced with a, in a way, a similar temptation, says, am I in God's place? No, I believe that God is sovereign and I believe that God is sovereignly working out his good plan. Perhaps there is hope that despite the evil, God's good plan will prevail. But the book isn't over, right? The book, which started with God filling the world with life, ends with a man's body filling a coffin In death. And yet Joseph's final words provide for us some of the most hope filled words in all of the Bible. Church, we not only need God to sovereignly reign over evil for God's plan to prevail, but because our hearts are so dead in our sin and transgression revealed by our lives ending in a coffin one day. We need God to come down and to rescue us himself. 
And that's exactly what he does. Truth number two is this church. God's plan will prevail because God comes to our rescue. God's plan will prevail because God is sovereign over all evil. And God's plan will prevail because God comes to our rescue. The end of Genesis tells us that God blessed Joseph with getting to see several generations of his descendants. And when the time came for Joseph to die, he gave these instructions concerning his burial. He said, carry up my bones with you. Carry up my bones from here. What in the world is he talking about? Well, he's talking about God's promise to his people to give them the land of Canaan. God had promised to give this land to Abraham, Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. God had even said that they would be sojourners in another land, but that he would bring them back to the land of Canaan. And so just like his father, Jacob, in his death, Joseph's hope is resting in the covenant promises of God. Joseph might be second in command in Egypt, but he is not staking his hope for eternity on his position of earthly power, but in God's covenant promises to him and to his family. Joseph's faith was in the salvation promises of God. But notice what gave Joseph confidence that his family would eventually leave Egypt and enter into the promised land. It wasn't just that God was sovereign over evil, but it was that God would come himself to deliver them from evil. Look at verse 24 and 25. Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. Church, Joseph believed that the God who created the world who humans had rebelled against, who made promises of blessing, and whose plan was constantly being attacked by evil, was going to come to the rescue of his people and make sure that his promises were fulfilled to bring his people into the promised land. And guess what? The very next book of the Bible, book of Exodus, begins the description of God doing exactly what he promised. God Deliver the people of Israel from Egypt after 400 years. And when the people left in Exodus chapter 13, verse 18, guess what they took with them? The bones of Joseph. Exodus chapter 13, verse 19 says Moses took the bones of Joseph with them. They were 400 year old bones at that point in the coffin, but they were headed to the promised land. And later we learn that Joseph's bones were buried in the promised land. But church, something bigger is going on here. Even though Joseph may not have understood it at the time, his words were pointing to a far greater visitation from God than what happened 400 years after Genesis chapter 50 in the land of Egypt. You see, God's creation is so overcome with evil. Our hearts are so enslaved to evil that the only way for us to be rescued, the only way for God's salvation promises to triumph over evil, the only way for God to sovereignly ensure that his plan would prevail would be for him to visit earth himself. And praise God, not only is he sovereign, but he is compassionate. And in his compassion, 
In his mercy and his grace and his love, he left heaven and he came to earth on a rescue mission for you and for me. As we gather today on not only the Lord's Day, but on what has come to be known as Christmas Day, we have a special opportunity to celebrate the very thing Joseph spoke of in his dying words. God visiting us to deliver us, to carry us up out of here to the promised land. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, if you think about it, that sounds a lot like the first verse of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But verse 5 of John chapter 1 reveals that darkness crept into God's world and fights against this light who is called the Word, who is with God, and who is God. And yet verse 5 of John chapter 1 also reveals that the darkness has not prevailed. John chapter 1 verse 5, the next verse in John's Gospel says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. How so? I mean, just think about all the evil that we've read about in the book of Genesis. And that's just the first book in the Bible. The pages of the Old Testament are filled with evil. With evil attacking God's creation. With with evil attacking God's promises and God's plan. And if we're honest, sometimes it feels like even in our own lives, evil seems to be winning. And so how can we say that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it? Let me skip ahead a few verses in John chapter 1 to verse 9. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In the words of Joseph, God will surely visit you. In the words of the Apostle John, And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Friend, evil has not won and will never win, because God has come to earth. The Word who was with God and who was God and who created this world stepped out of the glory of heaven and He came to dwell with you and with me, with sinful people. And when God promised in Genesis 3 to send and deliver, it was this promise to send His only begotten Son. Jesus is the man born of woman who would destroy the serpent, who would lift the curse, and who would deliver God's people forever. When Joseph said, God will surely visit you, he was more right than he even realized himself. Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, whose mission was to announce the coming of the Messiah. Zechariah said this when John was born. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. You ready for this? For he has visited and redeemed his people. From Genesis chapter 50. And Joseph in his dying breath saying, God will surely visit you. To thousands of years later, the prophet Zechariah saying, God has surely visited us and he has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation from us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies. 
And when we think about Jesus, church, his birth, his life, his death and his resurrection, we see that it is the story of God's promise of salvation triumphing over evil. It is the story of God sovereignly ruling over evil to bring about his grand plan of salvation. God had promised that there would be war between the serpent and the woman, between her offspring and his offspring. And we've seen Satan battle against God's plan in Genesis. And we see him keep battling against God's plan throughout the Old Testament. And when Jesus was born, listen, Satan fought hard. Herod tried to kill Jesus when he was a very young child. But God's plan prevailed. Satan tried to tempt Jesus out in the wilderness. But God's plan prevailed. The Jews had Jesus nailed to a cross. But God's plan prevailed. The crucifixion of Jesus was the greatest evil ever committed in the world. Because there hung one who truly was innocent, being crucified for sin. And yet it became the greatest source of life the world has ever known. What they meant for evil, church, God meant for good. For that baby in a manger, that man on the cross, that man walking out of the tomb was God the Son. He had come to do battle and he had come to prevail. First John chapter 3 verse 8 says that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. God's sovereign plan of salvation centers upon Jesus. And Jesus is the visitation from God that results in his plan of salvation prevailing. Yes, There is evil in the world, but God's plan will prevail because he is sovereign over evil and because he comes to our rescue. The question is, are you on the side of Jesus? His is the winning side. Are you on his side? If you belong to Jesus, then you get to prevail over evil as well. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I will build my church. He's talking about his people and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So you belong to Jesus. Are you included in God's salvation promises? God has personally intervened in humanity to ensure that his people enter into his promise of salvation. And so, church, here's the response. Because our deliverance is completely dependent upon God coming to rescue us, then the only proper response is to rely completely upon Him as our rescuer. Is your faith in God's promise of salvation? Is your hope in God's sovereignty over evil? In His coming to earth to rescue us? Is your faith in the rescuer who has come? Is your faith in Jesus? We've learned a lot about God's promises in Genesis. We've learned some big truths in these final chapters. Perhaps we could summarize them this way. God's sovereignty over evil means that nothing will stop his plan to rescue his people from death through his promised king, who is God the Son, and who has personally brought the blessing of salvation as an undeserved gift to be received through faith. I don't know what all the plans were that you had on your mind as you came into this place to gather to worship the Lord today. But I pray that we all leave believing and celebrating the one plan that will prevail. And that is God's promise of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? God, your word is one of the greatest things in all the world.
because it leads us to the greatest one in all the world. The Lord Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, who at His name one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord. God, thank You that You are sovereign over evil. Lord, it gives us hope to face the evil that is all around us and sometimes even within us. And God, thank You that You have visited us, that You have come to rescue us. God, we thank You for Jesus. Lord, on this Lord's Day and on this Christmas Day, what greater thing could we do than to celebrate the greatest gift in all the world? Thank You for Jesus. Father, may our response be one that pleases You as we offer our praises to Jesus, our King and our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.